Ladies, ladies a leisure, ladies, ladies a leisure, ladies, ladies a leisure, leisure. Hello and welcome to Ladies of Leisure. I'm Lisa. And I'm Kim. And you were perfect for your guest host. Welcome, Kim. So you are my fabulous pen pal that I've mentioned quite a few times on the podcast. And you are the closest thing I know to a famous person <laughs> in my life because you've written a book, like a real paperback book. Can you tell the audience what it is? Yeah. So I think the book that you're referring to is Make It Mighty Ugly, which is a book about yes. making ugly things on purpose as a creativity exercise. So it's not a novel, it's nonfiction. And honest to God, I did not intend for it to be specifically a self-help book, but that's totally what it is. And the whole goal of it is to help people just feel like they are creative and can be creative in any way they want. And nobody else's opinion matters. What I love about the book is it is handwritten with doodles and drawings and it's fun. And you the first thing you do is make a really mighty ugly thing, like a doll or whatever. And even if you don't like it, I put mine, it was like a pillow lady. I named her Bertha, but it was out of like an old... I couldn't force myself to throw it away because I got it in India, but it was like pink and blue and silver with trim on it and only fit in in India. There was no way I could just like walk out of the house wearing it. And now Bertha just is a beautiful lady that sits on a shelf and just watches me. So it was fantastic. I picked up your book at one of my favorite bookstores, Green Valley Book Fair down in this like little mountainy town where I went to college. And for some reason, it resonates so much with me that I then searched you on the interwebbies, found your Instagram, found out you had like a community, and then I got to join the community. And I reached out because one of the words of the week that we were doing at the time was connect. And I wanted to connect with people and a group. And there you were. And then flash forward. Three months later, we were still pen pals. I've kind of slipped a little bit. It hasn't been like solid pen palness. There's this global pandemic going on. It's kind of put a kink in all kinds of like routines. Right. (laughs) But we were pretty consistent for a while. We were. One of the delightful things was the crazy questions we would ask each other. Like, Because I had read somewhere that the best correspondence or the way to engage is to ask ridiculous questions not ridiculous, but like questions, but mine tend to be ridiculous. And we had some deep soul searches. Like what was your, what's a color that resonates with you? Or what's the worst word you've ever heard? Or some of those other things. I can't even remember all of our crazy questions, but here we are. And you, how big is your community? So it's a community of, and I'm blanking. Creative adventurers. There we go. I always want to call it the Rocketeers and I don't know where it came from, but that's not what it's called. <laughs> no, we had like a rocket ship kind of thing going on when we first launched it, but there's about 300 people in there now. Gotcha. So if you need to search community of creative inventors, that's the group that we're talking about. And there is both close friends that you know in real life. Like, do you know Corey in real life? No, no. I know Corey only through the forums really. 
are, do you have any real life friends in here? Like these are all like stranger <laughs> internet webby friends. No, they're not. So, so a couple of people I have met in person, Sandy Weishart and I used to work together when we were both working at Interweave Press. So there's, there's folks in there, a few that I've met in person, but most, some, some I knew not in person, but just through, like I've been doing work online since 2004. So you know, we, the, the community, let me say, I'm like totally stumbling over this because I'm like, <laughs> this is, it's like all of these interconnecting dots and I'm like, how do they connect? So we launched the community in the winter of 2019 because of a workshop that I had taught online and I had okay. incorporated like live zoom sessions into that workshop. And the feedback I got from that cohort that participated in the workshop was we want more of this. And so we were like, well, well, let's build a community. And so some of the folks I had really gotten to know because I saw them almost every day for a couple of weeks for this workshop. Some of them I've been in touch with over all of the weird and different incarnations of my work over 15 years. So it's not that like, I don't have any like, like, like friends from outside of this work really in there, but I know a bunch of people from various things that I've done. That is super long-winded. No, that's, well, that's what we're looking for. These are just a collection of people. And it also brings up the love of crafting. So we talked about your book, Make It Mighty Ugly, but also you have like a thriving, and this brings up the blueprint issue, but you have a thriving crafty hobby that you've also like monetized into classes and these seminars, but most of it focuses on crochet, correct? Yes. Most of it. I mean, so all of the mighty ugly related stuff is like, I would say like craft agnostic. It's about whatever you make, but yes, I got started working in the crochet industry and I worked like throughout the industry on the publishing side of things in a variety of different ways for about five years, including writing books. I was the editor of a magazine. I had started a website and print magazine and community. So, and now the, the crochet work that I do now is teaching online. And I had four classes that I had filmed with Craftsy and Blueprint. So this is one of the rabbit holes I wanted to go down with you. So me and my mom have been big Craftsy fans. My mom more so. She's into the forever classes. Mm -hmm. I have just a subscription. But recently, Blueprint was like, oh, hey, we're not going to be a thing anymore. Sorry, not sorry. We'll see what happens. (laughs) And uh, like you were then quoted in an article about, whoa, this is not cool. Like this was how I had some classes going on. But a lot of people said Blueprint wasn't like, they didn't like Blueprint as much as its original website name and owner Craftsy, right? So how did you feel about the relationship over time? Because I'm just like an outsider where I'm like, ooh, classes. (laughs) But there were very strong opinions on this. And now me and my mom are like, oh, well now we got to go find classes on the YouTubes or something like that. So how how was it like on the other side being an instructor? So it's such an interesting 
question. So yeah, Craftsy was started in I think 2011. And it was always, you know, it was a tech startup. Like they built really great technology that enabled people to, to without any technical skill of their own, watch video classes online. It was awesome. They did a great job. Right. And when I was invited to teach a crochet class there, I was actually invited to teach a beginner class. I wasn't working in crochet at that time anymore. In fact, I had tried really, really hard <laughs> not to be working in crochet anymore. I was like, enough, I need to do these other things. And I was, I was really falling into Mighty Ugly at that point. And I was teaching workshops and I was, you know, excited about these, you know, this sort of more I don't want to say intellectual because that sounds like such a jerk, but like I was interested in the ideas about creativity and I didn't want to just be doing crochet. I feel like I had said my piece, but then I was invited to teach and it was such a, a different kind of thing to do. And I'm a, I'm a novelty junkie. Like I wanted like, oh, suddenly like they were going to fly me to Denver and I could teach a class in a studio. That sounded amazing to me. And they treated me like I was the content expert that I am, which was an incredible Ooh. collaboration. So, you know, they brought their production expertise to my crochet expertise. And that first class that I filmed was like a three and a half hour class, like edited down the, the finished videos add up to three and a half hours. So it was comprehensive. And it was, you know, I walked out of there feeling like I had probably done my best work. And to a great extent, I think that's because it was such an equal collaboration because I was trusted to bring what I was best at. I trusted them to bring what they were best at. And it was just this, like, I know I sound like I'm just sort of a cheerleader for it, but it was, it was just so satisfying as a professional. And because it was a beginner class, like, you know, for any class that you ever teach, the greatest, largest possible audience is always beginners, right? Because there's always loads of people no. who have no idea how to do it. And so that class was incredibly successful for me in terms of, you know, just being paid. Like it paid better than, well, in the end, now it's been six years since that class came out and it paid me, I think, better than all six of my crochet books combined. Now, wow. yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of money in, in writing craft right. books. So it's, <laughs> I guess that should keep that in perspective. I'm like, you made millions yeah, of right. dollars. Right. Yeah. Like I never have to work a day in my life again. No, <laughs> but it was pretty amazing for me to see that. Right. Cause I'd spent years yeah. being like, you know, it's funny that you said that I'm kind of like a sort of famous -ish person. Like when, when you are, have been visible in a niche community for so long I spent a lot of time being like, look, this might look really shiny and I'm very proud of this work, but I am not getting wealthy from it. Right. Like, so, <laughs> you know, with Craftsy, there was suddenly this feeling like not only was I being respected for what I did and have that great experience of respecting the people that I was working with and feeling like, you know, the whole was, was, was greater than the sum of its parts, but I was also getting paid really well for it. And that just like everything about it felt great. And I ended up filming three more classes with them. And around the time of my fourth class, I think, was when NBC Universal acquired Craftsy. And the, the management team stayed in place, a lot of the staff stayed in place. But the shift with NBC Universal coming on board, and this is from my perspective, this isn't like I'm not putting words in anybody else's mouth, but it was a shift more toward like edutainment 
Whereas uh, the craftsy focus was always on getting people who are really great at teaching what they do and focusing on the depth and clarity and quality of that teaching. And it's a, it's a different focus when it becomes more about edutainment because edutainment is more about kind of how people feel but not like the longer game of how they feel when you've taught them something that like bootstraps them into feeling great about themselves because they're learning a new skill, right? Like the goal in the end yeah. is always for people to feel great, but the the path you take to getting them there is different. And I'm going to stop there. Like, I think, I think that kind of answers your question in, in terms of my experience with them and the, and the trajectory and the news that came out about blueprint closing was it was pretty clear that, right, like this was an NBC Universal decision. This was sort of, right. this was something that is, you know, can happen when a big giant multinational, you know, acquires a whole bunch of different things and then a pandemic hits and they lose their sports revenue. And, you know, they're probably, for all I know, it was a line item that was just like, well, you know, we're just going to strike that right now. And, I think it's really unfortunate. And I think it's really short-sighted too, because so many people are crafting now. Well, that's what surprised me. I was like, how could this be tanking when I finally am like utilizing all of my, you know, blueprint membership where I'm like, oh, now I can finally sit down and like watch some of these things and like, listen, and I see everything else blowing up on the interwebbies because like no one's like leaving their house. So I think that surprised me as well. But you're right. Maybe maybe it was a, a line item and the the love of the passion of crafting wasn't there. Yeah. It's strange. It's really strange. Yeah. There's been a lot of really surprising and 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 sad kind of turns as businesses that were really well established in craft have been kind of cutting back or or even closing down. So it's been, you know, and and the all of that doesn't happen because for three months, people have to stay home. I think a lot of that happens because maybe for years, there have been issues that have now just, you know, kind of, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. But it's like, as it's not because of a lack of consumer demand. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Right. Yes. What I found interesting about what you were saying was the edutainment part, because I did notice when the transition went to Blueprint that oh, we have these shows called like Doodle Wars. Or when I was taking a embroidery class, all of a sudden, like she's eating sandwiches in the middle of it and like catering to like children and stuff. And I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> what What is, I don't need this. I want you to go on to the next stitch. And it was almost hard to find a way from some of those classes. So yeah, maybe their trajectory is wrong. Do you follow the Making It show with Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler where they have crafters competing in a competition? So I know of it. Okay. But it's not here in Canada. So Canada, why would you not bring that Canada? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's not Canada. That would be again... NBC Universal. Oh, <laughs> but, oh NBC, rude. Uh, oh, they yeah. are they're not sponsoring this podcast. So we can just <laughs> I say out loud. I feel like I don't want to I like I really don't have any ill will toward them. It's just like it happens <laughs> to also be their show. 
Right. They're making poor decisions when it comes to the crafting world. So what I thought was interesting is now you're starting to see shows coming out like Making It and Lego Masters and some other shows which have like more of a... a, a there was a, gla- a glass blowing show Ooh. where they also like... Yeah. I watched that. My mom does glass work on, on torches. Mm-hmm. And so we were watching it. And it's fascinating to see like people who actually like have a craft. And so that's what was also like I was thinking because Blueprint was a major sponsor of some of those shows. Then they'd have all the commercials of like, go get Blueprint. I was like, uh, I'm not sure that this is the right audience because again, if you're taking stuff to beginners, I don't know that who is watching these shows, if it's more just for a fun factor, but since you sadly are getting screwed by NBC, we'll, we'll not review that show. All right. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm personally being screwed by NBC to be clear. Okay. I mean, it's business, clear. right? Like it's yeah. like, I was really fairly paid I was continuing to get fairly paid. It is a total bummer that that income is is not going to be anymore. And I feel really bad for for people who bought classes who are going to be losing access. So yeah, yeah. Do you get to keep all of your instruction material? Like, is that part of the deal? No, uh, there is no deal. Oh. There's no, no deal. There's no oh, like. They just they're like, sorry, <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was just like, and this is going to be the last day. And so, no, I mean, we don't have rights to it, right? So, and and we uh, never did. We never did. Like, this was not the kind of like this was their production, right? Like. I was flown. They paid for my travel. They Got they it. employed the producers and editors and hair and makeup artists, right? Like all of that production they owned. And so it's it's not it's not unfair that I don't get my class in the end. You know, I like that's that's just business. It's just business. Okay. Yeah. We won't we won't we won't tell NBC to, you know give back your content. I mean, um, yeah. You got a hair and makeup person? Oh, that sounds yeah. beautiful. I mean, oh my gosh. it's also a little bit much, honestly. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit like, you know, I'm a very chill person and I did not look in those classes like I am as chill as I am. Mm, you mm-hmm. know, but I, I did sure look made up. So there was that. Okay. I got All a right. great lipstick recommendation. Right. <laughs> hey, something good came out of yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. So you talked about getting away from crochet, but aren't you right now part of the 100 day project and doing crochet? Well, I declared <laughs> that I would do the 100 day project. And in reality, I did that for about, I don't know, 15 or 18 days. And then Ooh, same beast. Same beast. <laughs> I mean, I'm really chill with myself about following through on big commitments like that, but I did do it in crochet. I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed crocheting. So even when I stopped, I mean, like, so when I say that I had been working in crochet, I mean that I- It was had, your life. Yeah. Like I had started a website. It turned into an online magazine. I was going to trade shows. I was speaking and teaching. Then I was hired full-time to be the editor of a magazine that was about crochet. And all the while I was writing books about crochet and I was going to conferences about crochet. (laughs) And I, I was on television about crochet. Like I did a whole bunch of things that were all about crochet for about five years. And then I was like, my work needs not to be about crochet, but I never stopped enjoying the actual craft. So I've always, 
just had to step away. Yeah, I just I had to provide myself with other opportunities to say other things as a, as a writer in crochet or sorry in the world. So I just I just needed not to be only I needed not to be a one trick pony anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. And that so that brings me to why I think we have such a fun time talking with each other is I think that both of us like jump from idea to idea but in different ways because we've talked about you're a rebel according to Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies yeah. and I'm a questioner and it boggles my mind when I hear from rebels because it sounds like no rules apply so I'll be like what are your goals Kim and you're like f goals I don't need them I tell the world what I need I'm like I don't understand how can you be so productive then as a person <laughs> you know so it's so interesting like Right now, in part, I mean, I started pursuing this before the Blueprint News came out, but certainly motivated by my, by like the loss of significant income for me. I'm working on a new project, which is too early days to really say anything about, but it's, it's a big one. It's, and like I told my husband, it's the last job I ever want to have. And part of the reason I know, right? Like here I am talking about goals and commitments, right? Right. And something that I real, I was like, I've had this idea for about a decade. And it's totally driven by like, screw that. I can't believe people have been doing this right. This whole, like it's, that is definitely the undercurrent. But the difference is that suddenly I like, maybe, I mean, it was in like the, the depths, the deepest part of our isolation in the pandemic. I think it was like early April or mid April when I was like, I just felt like I couldn't think straight no matter what I did. And what ended up coming out of my mouth was why have I not just become the establishment, <laughs> which is a totally egomaniacal way of putting it. But I was like, I've, I've just never been able to be as effective a team player as I can when somebody else is the coach. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and it's, it's part of it is that like, I just, I know that I, my brain moves a little bit faster and I have this inherent kind of inclination to be like F off rules. Like I, I totally get it. But like the truth of the matter is that I really respect rules and I respect like really good thinking about things. And I respect principles and constraints and guidelines that are right headed. I just feel like I've never, well, not never, but it's been a really long time since I let my own values and principles drive what it is. Instead, I've, I've put myself in the position of being like a, a square peg in a round hole, kind of trying to force my values and principles to fit into some other organization's values and principles. And if they don't align perfectly, then that creates the friction that <laughs> leads me to want to set everything on fire and walk away. And so like, that's, it's just, I, I'm too old now to think of that <laughs> as a crushing weakness. I just don't think of it as a weakness anymore. It is not something wrong with me. It just means that I have not been trying to use the skills I have in the right context. And so I'm, I'm teaming up with somebody. We're in the process of figuring out all of the kind of like structure of our business and the really kind of thing. But like, I just, 
like now just feels like the time. I've had this idea for 10 years and it always felt like maybe I, I wasn't ready to be in my 40s and feel all strong about who I am and you know what I want to accomplish. Or maybe it's that I also felt that there wasn't room. There was like too much competition and it would be impossible to kind of launch something and be heard. But now, unfortunately, that competition is fizzling. And also, I've got nothing to lose. And I am in my 40s. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now is the time to try to just be the establishment and to try to impose those values and principles onto this project I want to do. Again, I totally hear myself sounding like totally like Dr. Evil. And then we will make $1 million, like whatever. But that's how it's, it's just all going through my head. And you're, this is the first long conversation I've had in days. So I'm like, oh, oh, man. oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so curious. Does it have to do with some of your climate change work? In part? Yes. Climate change okay. is something that's really, or climate action specifically, is something that really drives me. And it is about sustainability and it is about not ignoring factors related to environmental sustainability in craft choices that we make. So yes, I've definitely something over 15 years that I have had to really contend with is promoting products and, and processes that are not in line with climate action, right? I think that we all navigate this in many ways in our own lives all the time. And yes, I'm absolutely designing this project with my partner to make sensitivity and action and information related to that a part of what we do. Well, I am intrigued and I hope to hear about this mysterious project and this $1 million <laughs> you'll make as an overlord. <laughs> Very exciting because on top of like these ideas, I also love that. And this must be a rebel tendency where you can just drop like a eh, 100 day project. That's not going to work. <laughs> I, it like feels more like a crushing failure to me that I'm like, again, I didn't do it again. I didn't even make it to the halfway marker. Nah, I made it to the quarter marker. But then you are also like, uh, you know, I'm going to learn how to use the the ukulele. I'm going to play the ukulele. That's something we're going to do. You know what I but, hated? The ukulele. The ukulele <laughs> is the worst. Do you know what? That instrument, I hope I can say this. It was not meant for human beings who have breasts. <laughs> like that, the that ukulele, is like it is the instrument fact. of the patriarchy <laughs> is it is it because you can't hold it up to your chest is yeah. that where it's supposed to sit it's got like i was holding it under my chin or like at oh. my belly button and either way it was horrible and i i took to youtube about i was like there's gotta be and all it was was like like loads of 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 women Dude. who are perhaps not as as amply oh. endowed as me. Oh, I see. People saying like, ah, oh, just use a strap. And I was like, you know what? I don't enjoy this enough to make a strap for yeah. me. But I have been taking fiddle lessons, which is amazing. <laughs> oh, so you're still doing the fiddle. I am. I'm terrible. Oh my gosh. Are you, are you going to have a concert soon? No. No. Okay. It's the worst. <laughs> it is the worst. If I hear, oh, Susanna again, I might die. But oh it's gosh. like... It's, it's, it's so unlike anything that I do that I, it gets me completely out of my head. It's been a really good project to do because I have to focus so completely on the terrible, terrible music that I'm like trying to produce. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like a meditation. I was roommates with a bunch of music sorority ladies. And so part of their music education in college is to teach all the instruments to people 
most often they would find just people like me who only know like one instrument. And I remember the violin, which I know is not the same as a fiddle. It is. It's the same instrument, different style playing it. Right. And it was so weird to me because I'm like, where do I put my fingers? And they're like, you use your ear (laughs) to figure out if it's the right one. I was like, well, this is going to go poorly. (laughs) And they have to have me perform and they get graded based on how they correct me (gasps) in front of an instructor. Oh my gosh. And I remember the violin and it was Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and it was like... (laughs) I was like... And I'm like, this is... And I'm like trying to pretend like I know what it's supposed to sound like. And I'm like, no, I'm not... mm, No, no. And... I, my she got good marks, and I think that's because like she just had to constantly be like, no, no, that's not it, no, no. So I'm more impressed that you willingly put yourself through that and find great joy in that because I was like, well, there goes any stringed instruments ever in my future because yeah. ooh, yeah. it's quite a lot of work. Like I think the violin was actually a really great. I mean, so I took it for a year when I was about nine. And then my family moved after that and it was all nuts and I was super overwhelming. So I quit. So there was a part of me that always wondered what it would have been like if I'd continued to learn. And so that's part of why I chose that instrument. Cause you're right. Like it's a really difficult instrument to learn. Like there are no frets. There's no fail there. That's what I thought. I was like, aren't these things supposed to have like, like little lines? They're like, no, this is a classical instrument. I'm like classical. Right. Okay. So get this. Okay. You're so right. So, so one day during, like it was probably even late March or early April. So it wasn't when we started losing our minds from the isolation, but my husband and I were joking and he's a musician. Like he always played, he played the tuba and the trombone and he was in marching bands throughout like high school and university. And I am not musical. Like I'm like super not musical, but we were joking one day that maybe we should have a pandemic challenge of creating like a klezmer band in our living room. And right, klezmer is like the folk music of Eastern European Jews from like the old country. (laughs) And, and so like, right, like it was something that I, I love is folk music of kind of from anywhere. Right. And so, so this is like the folk music of our ancestors. And I was like, well, I've wanted to learn how to fiddle. And so he went, he bought me a used student violin. It was awesome. And we borrowed a clarinet for him. So he's learning clarinet. Of course, this guy like watches a YouTube video oh. about how to assemble his clarinet and then he and starts playing immediately, right? Yeah, like he starts playing Simon and Garfunkel. And mm-hmm. I pick up my violin and through muscle memory, apparently from when I was nine, I played like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> like hot cross buns. Right. And then <laughs> I signed up for lessons. And so every Monday evening I have a lesson with a woman who lives in Idaho. She's great. And this is a long way of getting to the fact that like learning the fiddle was exactly the right instrument for me. Because she totally like out of the gate was like, you will sound terrible for at least six months. And I was like, really? Because I am like professionally like an expert at being terrible at things. So I'm really, really (laughs) deeply comfortable with that. And she looked at me like I was insane and was like, okay. (laughs) But I was like, this is perfect. And so I felt so fine about the fact that I have no developed ear for music and have to rely on my own ear to get the notes right. And I'm like, you know, half the time she's like, you are so sharp. You're playing like up an entire note. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's why it sounds so terrible, right? So it's like, 
okay. So that was really great. But then she was telling me, right, she gets these little digs in about like classical violin playing versus fiddling, where she told me at one point, you know, she, she introduced the metronome into my playing and it like broke my brain. It was so hard to do. And (laughs) like, but she was like, you know, you can tap your foot. It's not like you're playing in an orchestra where you have to like only wiggle your toes inside your shoes because you're not allowed to tap your foot. And I was like, wow, I chose the right thing. She was like, stomp your foot. You're playing fiddle. You don't have to hide it. And I was like, yes. So anyway, it's super great. But then she told me that like, I'm totally ready now. Of course, there's COVID, so there is none of this to like go to a jam, but I should seek oh. out a jam at like a legion or somewhere where the average age is over 75 and people are drinking. She was like, they oh, will think yeah. that you Drunk are love right. She's like, you will be playing just as great as the like drunk octogenarians. It's going to be amazing. And everybody will think that you're doing super great. And I was like, I just love you. Yeah. Now I'm very curious. Mm. What, like, do you just wander the streets and try to find like an elk lodge or like a <laughs> mason? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to, I was like, where, where, I, where do I apparently go? Apparently fiddle jams or bluegrass jams happen all over the place. Yeah. Apparently like she totally told me that as if I knew exactly where to look. Yeah. Like we're all idiots for not having attended these amazing fiddle jams. I mean, I actually like felt this wave of relief. Like, well, I'm super glad nobody's gathering period right now. Cause I don't even have to ask her, where do I find that? Because that's inappropriate during the pandemic. So right, by right. the time people are allowed to gather, perhaps to play, I might be able to get through Oh Susanna without sounding like something is dying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and I wonder if like this applies to most instruments, like maybe someone who started learning the bagpipes, they're like, oh yeah, you just go to an Irish bar or a Scottish bar because that's that's rude. And <laughs> you just wait for the night where you can just blow into it and they're all drunk and they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I like I mm, really love the idea. She was just like go play with drunk people. They won't be able to tell the difference. She was also like like playing the fiddle in tune is a lie. She was like because half the time people are playing fiddle they're drunk. And <laughs> she's like they're just incapable oh, yeah. of doing it anyway and I was like this is clearly the right choice for me. I don't even drink. I was like, but this is clearly the right choice. Yeah. In marching band and our tuba section, most of the tuba section did not have, did not know how to play the tuba. <laughs> they were rejects from the other sections. <gasps> oh, I'll have to ask my like, husband oh. if that was the same for him. Right. So this was college level. And so it was, I guess, maybe more competitive. I don't know. I didn't do it in high school. It was a tiny high school, so we didn't have a marching band. But I went and they were like, oh, you made it because you obviously know how to play. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. I'm I'm amazing. I wasn't, by the way. But then they were like, so we have to fill out the 24 tuba section. So we just wait for after auditions. And if people get rejected from the saxophone and the flute, they then are offered to come be a tuba and they can either learn, no one does, (laughs) or we just give them a tuba and they dance around and like they pretend they're playing. Oh my gosh, they're just synchronized tuba dancers. Yeah, they're tuba dancers. And 
so a tuba mouthpiece costs about 50 bucks and to a college student, that's a lot. Yeah. So you can either, so most people just held their hand over the tuba and, and then they just danced with it and they would like, you know, pretend they were playing. So Mm -hmm. this is exactly the instrument my husband played in the marching band in university. I will have to, I mean, I know he can play it. Ask him, ask him about the rejects. Like the flutes have a lot of rejects. (gasps) That's a really big Mm -hmm. leap from the flute to the tuba. Right. And (laughs) most flute players aren't made to carry a sousaphone. It's a stereotype, but like, (laughs) there's not usually like giant bulky people who are like, you know what? Let me just round this out with a sousaphone (laughs) playing the flute. So like, I remember the girl that got rejected from the flute section, but still wanted to be in band. She was like five foot four, (laughs) super small. We put her on the end because like, otherwise it looked weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think she actually did try to play the sousaphone, but uh, you know, I mean, it was it, interesting. Like it vibrates your whole face. Yeah. Like, yeah. You look ridiculous when you're playing. It's insane. I mean, we have a sousaphone in our house, right? Like, so every so often <laughs> my husband will take it down and he'll like, you know, he'll set it down on our son who's like crushed under the weight of it, or he'll put it on me. And I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. Yeah, like, you should ask him. Just be like, can you do some dance moves like oh, in yeah. your Susan phone? I'm sure. Yeah. He can. And I'm sure he could do a sexy tuba dance for you. I, I am sure Doesn't he happen. can do a dance. That is for sure. And, <laughs> and speaking of sexy, I certainly hope that makes it into some of your romance writing because that's something we have in common. We want to write romance and sexy tuba dancing needs to be incorporated in that. <laughs> when I get out of like, I've been thinking about this. So I have not touched my writing in Samesies. months, Ugh. like maybe even since December. I can't even remember when December was, but I think it's been that long. Yeah. I took a little break for a little while because I wanted to try the National Write a Novel Month, but uh-huh. like I only put like 200 words on it and I was trying to do sexy Olive Garden waitress decides it's going to be her month or her summer of love, but on her terms because we we are ladies and she gets to decide what she wants for pleasure That's and right. none of that other stuff. Right, right. I am she's, not making a joke about all you can eat breadsticks right now. I'm not making it. Oh, or the never ending possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. making it. I think what did what did I I named so I tried to name all the chapters like dirty things. <laughs> so it was like soup salad and his breadstick <laughs> was one of them. <laughs> And of course, I can't call it Olive Garden, so I had to call it like Tomatillo Gardenia. Right, of course. Which is not a thing. <laughs> it turns out I Googled it. I think one's a flower and one's a uh, food. Yeah. But yeah, and I haven't touched it. But then I talked to some of my friends who are writing and they're like, yeah, I just went through three drafts. This <sighs> COVID thing really forced me to pay attention. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> I can't even do like... Like any of of my, like I was just so I, I couldn't I couldn't write. I was just not in the frame of mind for COVID because you like me also had kids at home mm-hmm. during this amazing time frame. In fact, congratulations to you today because your child left the house. It's true without you. It's true. Well, well yes, thank you. He is at day camp today. Oh my gosh! And I bet he's having the time of his life. We'll see. I I. I like 90% he comes home and says that it was the worst, but he's, <laughs> he's a very special child. He's, he's, he's got a lot of anxiety about transitions. Okay. And so transitions are rough. And when like to, to an extent, I think he would say that the best thing ever in his life 
was being home for three and a half months with us, <laughs> even though half the time he was like screaming at us that we ruined his life. So like, it's really hard to kind of gauge what his actual experience is, but like he desperately needs to not be around us for a while. <laughs> You're like, no matter what you say, this is for the good of you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yes. Sorry, not And also, honestly, like, we got to get work done. So also that. That's the the other thing. I'm just like, I don't know how people get work done with kids around. Like, it's just, even if you get a 20-minute time frame, if you're interrupted, I can't get back to it for, like, another, like, 20 more minutes. And that's like, well, oh, gosh. Lost it. Yep. It's it's gone. And then you just become so much more exhausted. Yes. That's what I found. Well, and your kids are younger than mine, I think. That's gotta be even like they're more demanding. Yeah. And they they are boys, so all they want to do is karate chop or kick each other or go running or throw something at each other. And it's like, okay, what physical activity? And I'm tired after physical activity. Uh-huh. And they're like, Oh my God, we should totally do this. Although a godsend just happened. Oh. Both of them are now into Legos. <gasps> Wonderful. Yes. yes. Like my husband's not looking forward to it because he just imagines Legos are going to be everywhere and you just step on it yes. like early morning and that's how you wake up. Totally. But like to me, it represents at least 45 minutes where they are engaged. And even if a Lego goes up one's nose, it's fine. It's a, it's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, that's a fight I'm willing to, you know, I'll get tweezers and pull out <laughs> your nose if you give me another like 15 minutes. <laughs> Just keep blowing. If it doesn't come out, I'll be there in 15 minutes. (laughs) Right. Like just, you know, it's fine. It's fine. We'll all be fine. Well, thank you so much for doing this podcast. I mean, you're kind of my, my celebrity pen pal. And I know that we've, Uh, it's like, I always think of it as future time when some, it's only like two o'clock at your place, right? Yeah. It's not even two o'clock. You're, yeah, so I'm your future right now. True. How's it so look this over day, there? Right. This day is going to be super good. Awesome. You have like some super great stuff happening. <laughs> Although you send us like future weather. So, you know, how is the weather like? Sunny and you know, beautiful. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that that's something to look forward to. Well, thank you again for being a guest host on Ladies of Leisure. And would you like to close out with me? Yes, I would. And also thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Kim. All right. LOL.